Today's Bible reading is taken from 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 to 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. This can be found on page 1226 of the Blue Bibles. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And, now, and, that, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Good morning, everybody. Next week, church is on. And it's going to be on in two locations. We're going to be meeting in Galston at the camp, and some of us will be meeting here. Um, So we'll be split over two locations, but that's okay. So if you're not going to the camp or you don't think you can get out to Galston, please, please, please come here. I'd love you to come here because we expect there'll be small numbers here, and we will need everybody's encouragement who is here. And uh, just support and love. And if you can make it out to Galston, we'd love you to come out to Galston. Um, You may need to see Vic or somebody else who's organising the camp just to join us because there may be a fee for coming out there. But we'd love to see you. Your choice, but please make plans to get to church tomorrow to encourage your brothers next week to encourage your brothers and sisters. Let me pray as we come to the, the Word of God. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for this letter of John that speaks of your love, that speaks of who we are in Christ, and we pray that as we look at it now, that you might challenge us to be what you've called us to be, your children. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Back to 1 John. been a while since we've been in 1 John on Sunday morning. It's a new series which I'm calling Children of God because we're going from chapter, end of chapter 2 to towards chapter 4, and and there's just a big theme about being God's children there. And uh, so we're looking very much at that. And uh, what an exciting thing it is to be a child of God. I wonder if you've got a special project on the go. I'm sure many of you do. Maybe you're scrapbooking. Maybe you're building a boat, one of these crazy people with a boat in the backyard. Um, Maybe you're writing a book. Maybe it's a short-term project. Maybe a long-term project. Maybe a life project. It's good if you do because projects are purposeful. 
it's, I always like to have some sort of a project somewhere in my life because when I have a project, there's a clear goal. Uh, you, you think, well, what might be? And so you develop a vision and then you begin to work towards that vision, achieving that goal with the end in mind. And you make plans and you, you work purposefully towards your goal till it's achieved. Many of you will know that our family recently completed what was a fairly, for us, a fairly big project. We didn't do a lot of the I did a lot of the work. It's true, I didn't do all the work. We, we renovated the downstairs of our house and the, our backyard significantly to expand it and uh, make it flow better. It started with an idea, gee, it'd be nice if we could knock that wall down and open this up, or what if we, what, what if we just changed the garden like that? And then it, those ideas became firm on a piece of paper, and then somebody turned up with a sledgehammer one day and the place became a disaster. And then the sledgehammers gave way to hammers and saws, which gave way eventually to paintbrushes. And basically, projects complete. It cost us a lot of time and a lot of money and it cost us considerably with comfort. But we had a plan. We had a project. And we're living it in it and it's good. Sometimes we have special people around, special people like Anna's family. Not my family, we don't do this for my family, but we do it for Anna's family. And if they're coming around, we tidy the whole place up. I spend half a day in the yard, Anna spends all day going over all the floors, we pick up everything, we put everything away, because we want the house to look good when we have guests around. I don't know if you've ever done that. We do it because we care. We do it because we want the house to look nice. In fact, we had a special project in our church. Three years ago, we finished this massive renovation. And if you weren't here three years ago, you would have no idea how massive the renovation was. It was massive. And every week, we have people come into this church to clean it. This week, thank you, Lorraine and Alida, for cleaning our church. Because why do we do that? Because we want it to look good, don't we? We want it to be tidy. God has a special project. And John, as he writes his letter, is stunned by the scope and the glory of God's special project. Now, this is not a particularly strange special project because God is Father. And many fathers have special projects. Special project of family. You know, many of you will know this. You, 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 you marry, you dream of family. Then you move from dream to plan. In preparation, you do what needs to be done. And then you put the time and the effort in to raise a family. God has a special project. It's his family. I'll put it another way. God's special project is his children. He's got a plan. He's got purposes. He cares. Now, why did we renovate our home? Well, we wanted a bigger living space downstairs. We wanted a better flow when we have lots of people around for that living space. That's the main reasons. Why did we renovate this church? Well, because... There were rooms everywhere. There were big safety issues. We wanted to be able to get more people inside. We wanted it to be more friendly for families. 
That's why we did it. What motivates God's special project? His family, his children. Well, once again, think about what motivates parents. Parents may want to have children so that they have more hands to do more work. I think that used to work 100 years ago. I don't know about today in Sydney. Didn't we? Anyway, parents may have, have children because they kind of look good. You know, when you've got your kids and your family... It's kind of a, maybe it's a career advancement. Look, I've got a family. But, but why do parents have children, really? I think for most parents, the great motivation is as objects of love. There's something in us that just wants to love, that wants to give. And it just seems natural and right to have children to love, to give, to serve. What motivates God's special project. Verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. What motivates God's special project? His great love for His children. And this is not the garden variety of love. The King James Version and many other versions would translate that verse, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. Behold what manner. That word what manner in the original Greek is actually from an original sort of source, which means you often use it this way, from what country? Like where does this kind of love come from? What country is this? Because God's love for us, is a foreign, unearthly, unexpected love. Like, where do you get love like that from? What country? What culture? Stunned by the majesty of God's love, John then goes on to say, and that is what we are. God's children. God doesn't give us a title. He doesn't give us a badge to wear. He doesn't give us a certificate to put on the wall. God gives us new birth. He sends us His Spirit to live in us. We get a new status. Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters. That's what we are, children of God. So you see God's project The end that God has in mind is for his children to be gathered around him in an unbroken fellowship, enjoying his goodness and his glory and his love. That is the end game. That is the vision glorious. But though we are God's children now, We don't yet enjoy that unbroken fellowship, do we, with God? That's not our experience. In fact, John says this, How great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. And then he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That is project complete. 
We don't yet know what we will be like. But we look forward to the day when Jesus appears. We look forward to the day when our trials and labours will be over and we shall see Jesus face to face. Yes, we are now children of God, but we wait that day when we will be like him. Project complete. We get to enjoy eternities, enjoying the benefits as children of God. Well, that's the end. But there is a lot of work between project conception and project complete. If you've ever done a big project, there's a lot of work. And in fact, there's a lot of things that can happen to get in the way. And in fact, if there's not things in the way, it's hardly a project, is it? Barriers to overcome. So what God has to do in his project is remove any barriers that would keep us from being his children in fellowship with him. And when you're doing that, if you're starting a project, it's not good enough just to remove the immediate effects. You need to get to the root cause of the problem. Let me give you an example. You're driving along the road and you come to signs and there's a roadblock. You're on a mountain road, there's a roadblock. You say, what is this? Get that roadblock away and the sign says, avalanche, roadblock. It's not good enough just to pick up the roadblock and throw it over the mountain and keep going, is it? What's going to happen? You're going to run into snow and rock. In fact, actually, if that's a really major road, it's probably not good enough just to get rid of the snow and the rock. You probably need to stabilise the ground above the road to stop avalanches. You need to get to the root cause. God has dealt with the root cause, the barrier between us and him being his children. But first we need to ask, well, what is the problem actually that's stopping? What is this barrier? What is this problem stopping us being God's children? Well, verse 4 of our passage is perhaps the most precise definition in the Bible of the barrier that keeps us from being the children of God. Look at verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. You see, we often think of sin as breaking the law in specific instances. God's law says, don't tell lies. It does. And so we tell a lie, that, oh, I've sinned. And you have. God's law says, do not steal. And you just can't resist the temptation, maybe at tax time or something you really want. No one's going to miss it. And you steal and you say, oh, I've sinned. And you have. But the sin is not the specific incidents at its very heart. Sin at its heart is lawlessness. It's an active rebellion against God's will and God's way, ways. It's a rebellion we're all guilty of. Let me give you an illustration that I find helpful for understanding how sin is lawlessness before it's actually the event, the doing. In Australia, a hundred years ago or so, we had bush rangers, people like Ned Kelly, Captain Thunderbolt. Or you've seen the movies, The Outlaws in the Wild Wild West, the American Wild West. The outlaw would disappear into the bush 
and set themselves up against the governing authority. They would become a law unto themselves. They willfully lived outside of the law of the land. And so an outlaw, a bushranger, would ride around and do whatever they wanted. They would take what they want. If they needed something, they'd hold up a stagecoach, take the money, take the food, take the alcohol, whatever. They were outlaws above the law. They would live for themselves at the expense of others until they were caught and had to face the music. But while they were an outlaw, they were outside the law. That's their choice. The Bible says we are all outlaws. That is, we want to live independently of God and His rule and His law. And actually, 100 years ago in Australia, in the wild, wild west, most citizens were fairly law-abiding. But our world, and well, each of us is, our world is populated by people who are outlaws against God, who don't want to live under His rule. And so just like the outlaw, the basic problem with the outlaw is, is that they're an outlaw. And so they hold up a stagecoach. Sin, but the big problem is being an outlaw. With us, our big problem is we don't want to live under God's rule, but, so we tell a lie to get our way. But the big problem, I don't want to live the way God wants me to live. I want to be free to choose to make the world work for me, so I'll tell a lie. You see the distinction? How does God take outlaws who don't want to borrow of him, who want to live independently with their black hat on? How does God take people who deserve the full penalty of the law? How does God make such people his children? Well, this is God's special project. This is what God does to remove the barrier. John tells us that Jesus came twice, or is coming twice. There's two appearances. The second appearance we've already read about, when he appears, we will be like him. It's yet to come. Jesus is coming again. But the first appearance of Jesus has already happened. Verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared, that is Christ appeared, so that he might take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. The living God took on human flesh in the person of his son and he dwelt amongst us. Jesus lived in our world to come and save us from our sins. He came to take our lawlessness, our sin away. 1 Peter 2.24 Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And he can do that because in him there is no sin. He lived righteously. John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what Jesus came for. Jesus called himself the good shepherd. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep to take away their sin. And that is why for us, having just come through Easter, the cross is absolutely central. Because without Jesus' death on the cross, we are lost in our sin. We are outlaws facing a death penalty. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can be called children of God. 
Jesus answers our deepest need. That is God's special project. That's the barrier our sin, our lawlessness, removed by Jesus on the cross. But, but, but what about the root cause, you might say? What about the fact that the avalanches keep happening? Well, Jesus came to deal not just with our sin, but he also came to deal with the root cause. And he does this by conquering the leader of the gang, the chief outlaw. Look at verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The devil is the original sinner. He is the father of lies. He is the root cause of all lawlessness. The first rebel. And Jesus tells us the purpose of the incarnation, the purpose of Christmas, the purpose of Jesus' coming was destructive. We don't sing many of those Christmas carols. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now that word destroy is the same word in Greek that you might use for loose. Like loosing your shoelaces. It's the word you might use for untying or dismantling into components. It's as if the works of the devil are chains that bind us, that restrict us. The work of this lawlessness actually binds us. Sin has this character. We actually become prisoners to the destructive choices we make. And we find as we make our choice for freedom that we are unable to break away from the chains we put ourselves in. We live as prisoners of the devil, without God and without hope in the world. Jesus comes to set us free. Oh, what tangled webs we weave when first we practice to deceive. Telling a lie is a sin. But what happens when you start telling lies? They just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and thicker and thicker until they trap us. People get addicted to substances. They just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Let me enjoy more and more enjoyment, more and more and more and more pleasure of this until it traps me. Let me just start with a little bit of porn. Let me just do a little bit of flirting. And it gets bigger and 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 until it traps you. We live as prisoners of the devil, without God and without hope, and Jesus came to set us free. See, the paradox is we think of the outlaw as free. He roams the wild west, he goes where he wants, he does what he wants. He is subject to none. Except for this, he's always an outlaw. He's always hiding. He's never able to go into town. He's always under threat. He is always a prisoner of his own choices. Until eventually, 
the outlaw becomes a prisoner of the state, facing judgment. Now, in God's kingdom, it is impossible to be a successful outlaw. You will be caught. You will face constant judgment. And it's a strange choice then to be an outlaw, this, this, this striking out for freedom that we all do. It's such a strange choice because submission to God's will brings peace and harmony and security and joy because his law is good, because he is a good king. And in fact, joy is found in submission to God and to his will. And we keep striking out for death. In order to complete God's special project that we might be his children, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to set us free from the tyranny of our wicked works. And when Jesus died in our place, Satan's power was destroyed. The ties that bound us to him are loosed forever. He was defeated. His grounds for accusation were removed. And in that, death was defeated. And we are, as Martin Luther King said, Quoting that old African-American spiritual, we are free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty in Jesus, we are free at last. Because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to set us free, to be God's children. Well, I'm hoping, if you've been with me, you've seen the end point of God's special project. Children of God in fellowship. We've seen the work that Jesus has done to remove all the barriers and deal with the root cause so that we might be included as part of God's special project. But what does it mean for us now? Because we're still waiting for that appearance of the Lord Jesus. What does it mean if we are objects of this foreign love? The children of God now. Because we live between these two appearances, don't we? Now we are children of God, yet what we will be has not yet been made known. One day we will be like him. Well, living in this should have a powerful effect upon who we are. In fact, we have a unique motivation that should shape every day of our life. Not as outlaws, but as children of God. Firstly, the first thing we see in here is, just like we do at home when Anna's family comes around, Just like we do in our church every week, we better clean up. Because Jesus is coming. He's going to pay a visit and we don't want to be found embarrassed or in shame when he appears. John says this, verse 28 of chapter 2, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. He is righteous and he has called us to a life of righteousness. So we take off the black hat, throw away the black cape of the outlaw and live as God's child, ready for his coming. John says it again in verse 1 of chapter 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what you are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been known. 
being made known. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then John says this, everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. Jesus is returning. We will be transformed to be like him. The image we long for will one day be our reality, and what a glorious day that one will be. But everyone who has that hope purifies himself, just as Jesus is pure today. We clean up today. We do the work that he's apportioned for us today. We live lives worthy of his calling today, knowing that he will soon appear. So that motivation, clean up, he's coming. But I think there's a more powerful motivation here in John, a more powerful motivation in every believer. Why do we keep the church clean? Why does someone come in every week and clean the church? Why do we keep and try and tidy up the clutter? Well, because a visitor might come. We want to look good. That we care for our property. Well, actually... Don't we want to live in a tidy... Don't we have church? Don't we, want to, don't we want to gather in a tidy property? Isn't that who we are? Why do we tidy up at home? Well, it is good. You know, every time we do a big tidy up because people are coming around, we say, gee, that was good. We needed to do that. Because we want to live in a tidy home. I don't want to live in a home where I can take you into this room and that room and that room, but don't go into those rooms because they're terrible. I want to live in a home that you, that's... Well, this is what we are in our family. We're tidy. We're organized. I like that. That's who we are. Why clean up your life? Why work hard at being more like Jesus today? Well, because those of us who have trusted in Jesus and in his finished work on the cross and trusted in him for his resurrection and life, we have been united to Christ. So that he is our Lord and our Saviour. We have been given a new heart and a new spirit. In fact, this language is all through this passage. In verse 29, we have been born of him. Verse 9, twice, we have been born of God. Verse 1, we are now children of God. Verse 2, we are children of God. Verse 10, we are children of God. Verse 3, we are those who hope in him. Verse 6, we are those who live in him. Verse 9, God's seed remains in us. You see this unity language? Who we are? We are in Christ. We are born of Christ. His seed is in us. We are God's children. Can you understand? If you are united with Christ, you should abhor evil. Just as he does. Because that's who you are. If Jesus is sinless and his purpose in coming to our world to die was to remove our sin, then no one who lives in him shall keep on sinning, shall live in lawlessness. That's what John says. In fact, in verse 6, he says, if we continue to sin, you've got, well, you haven't seen him. You haven't known him. He says in verse 7, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. 
because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains him, he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. They're strong words, aren't they? Sin is fundamentally inconsistent with who we are in Christ. It's not who we are. We, we're, we're called to bear the family likeness because that's what we are. We're children of God. You see, John's logic is very, very simple. It's just really hard to accept, isn't it? Because if sin is incompatible with our new life in Christ, who can claim to be a child of God? Who can claim to be lawless? Uh, claim to be not still struggling with this battle with lawlessness? We all struggle with our old nature. We all sin. We all tell lies. We grieve our Lord and Master. John said in chapter 1, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. How do you fit these two things, these two strong statements together? Well, I think the clue is to understand how John is referring to sin in this passage and the practice of lawlessness. Verse 9 could be translated, all those having been born of God will not continue practicing sin. Sort of implies a continual action. John is not denying the possibility that we can sin and we will sin. What he is saying, it's incongruous. It doesn't fit. In other words, the child of God must not harbor a settled character to sin, to live in rebellion like the devil who has been sinning from the beginning. We must not sin at will in lawlessness. In other words, law of the land says, let's say around Pennant Hills you can drive 60 kilometers an hour. You say, blow the law of the land. Why should I be penalized because everyone else is a bad driver? I'm going to drive at 90. And so you cart around the streets if you're driving at 90. That is lawlessness. Now, I, I bet everybody here has broken the speed limit at some time. Let me tell you, that's bad. You may have even done it willfully from time to time. I don't care, I'm in a hurry. But that's very, very different to the person who says, I don't care about the law, I'm going to drive at 90 anyway. Very different from the person who says... Listen, I don't have a lot of money at the moment. It's okay if I steal. That business makes lots of money anyway. And so you shoplift willfully. It's very different to someone who steals and they take it home and it sits there accusing them because they know they're a child of God. And they repent and they make reparation. We may well sin. But we can never, as Christians, sin with settled character, shamelessly, like the devil, like many will choose to. Because at new birth, God gives us a new nature that will exert a strong and real pressure on our spirit for those who have the spirit of God. We change from being a willing outlaw 
being one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And this change is not negotiable. If you do not know this battle, you are not a believer. And whilst we may commit our isolated acts of sin, though we may backslide, even at times badly, our renewed hearts and minds will give us no rest. Praise God. And all that our acts of sin will do is generate within us an inner struggle that will be painful and will lead us back to the cross, back to a plea for mercy, back to Jesus' blood and righteousness. Back to the point of repentance and transformation by God's power. Well, John concludes this passage with a great challenge in verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. You are either a child of the devil in lawlessness or you're a child of God. And the difference will show. And you need to ask yourself and challenge yourself, well, how different am I if I claim to be a child of God? At your work or where you study with your neighbours, family and friends, does the difference shine or do you look like just another garden variety outlaw like all the rest? Making your choices of ethics based upon your own preferences for what suits your life or making your choices and shaping your life by the love of God for you in Jesus. Does your righteousness spill over? Not showy acts of self-righteousness, but unmistakable acts of service and love. Can people look at you and see Jesus in humility? Do you consider others better than yourself and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? Are you a servant even when it costs you dearly? Or does your righteousness just bolster your status? See, the righteousness God calls us to is radical and unmistakable and somewhat rare. Friends, it's somewhat rare. I know there's lots of good people. The righteousness of Jesus is incredibly rare. And that is what you are. You are God's special project. We are God's special project community project it matters how we love one another how we relate we were planned before the beginning of time god is so committed to you he is so motivated by this foreign foreign love that he put everything into calling you his child working for that day when you will be around him in joyful and holy pleasure as his child. God loves you. Those of you are parents, you think you love your children. God loves you to a far greater measure. Those of you who are parents know how hard it is to consistently love your children with complete sacrificial interest. God loves you like that. He longs for you 
You know how parents long and ache for their children? You know how you just long and ache for them that they might be all that you see they can be? You know they may not be this or maybe, but you can see so much in your kids. And you long for it in them. And you wear their battles and you feel the disappointment when they make choices that are less than what they are. You know, God longs for you to be who he's made you to be. You'll only do that in submission to his will as his child. And then you will shine. Because you'll be who God's made you to be, which is beautiful. You're God's special project. So much so that his son died for you, with you in mind. And God wants his family likeness to show through. So that you're not content with second best. You're not content to say he loves me, bit of sin here, bit of sin there. It's okay. He wants you to push on with your eyes fixed on Jesus, to live in this world as a child of God, holy and pure. And John says, everyone who has his hope in, in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your amazing foreign love that we should be called your children. Help us to purify ourselves in this world as we wait for the day when you will make us just what you've made us to be by your power in Jesus. Lord, help us in this endeavor, even as a church community, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.